1: took me a long time to get here. Both players have, have spoken with each other and they forget what happened. They've had a frank discussion with each other and they're, they're, both of them are keen to, to you now focus on getting back to their county
2: jerseys.
0: But these fellas will get such a f-ing shit shot next Saturday evening
2: that we'll put them back in their houses for
1: 10 years. We'll start off with Mayo, lads, Connacht champions. Um, a big deal, you'd have to say, for Mayo. First time since they've won it since 2015. Um, more importantly, they're straight into an all Ireland semi-final. There's no messing around with Super 8s, no three more games, having Mayo come through the qualifiers played five already. Like, I mean, they're going to be fresh. It's three weeks' time. And you'd have to say, Keen, they've won it the hard way. They've gone away to Leitrim, they've gone away to Roscommon, and they've gone away to Galway and beaten all three of them.
0: Yeah, it's been very impressive for them. I suppose this is just... Um this is just a qualifier route in a different name for Mayo, really playing, uh, what is it, you know, a number of weeks in a row and, you know, the do or die nature of the of the championship the way it is this year. I mean, it seems to kind of suit Mayo, that real ruthless knockout football and fair play to them. Once again, despite having different players and different personnel, they've they've risen to the occasion again and really dug it out. Um, I suppose they had, you know, certainly would have had superiority over Leitrim, as you would have imagined. Um, really sort of dominated and blitzed Roscommon and despite not playing overly well yesterday against Galway just managed to survive I guess is the best way to put up But fair play to them they've, they've done it again and in Connacht I suppose it'll be a sweet one for them because as you say they've they've maybe flattered to deceive within their own province the last number of years so they'll be delighted to get provincial honours again
1: Yeah, nice to see Edna Shea lifting the cup as well you know, he's lost so much throughout his career without going on about that it was just a nice uh, moment I'm sure for him 10 of their 20 players um, it was the first Connacht kind of title, I suppose, when you're looking at the way panels are changing all the time. That's five years ago. We have to talk, Conan, about the sideline at the end. Like, I mean, geez, Galway made a balls of this. Now, I thought, again, we'll talk about this game in part two. Mayo were the better team um, on the day, but Galway could have snatched it. So we have Shane Walsh uh, pretty much making a balls of three sidelines li- side in a row. So one, he went off the left. He should have gone off the outside of the right. Um, he missed that. Then he got one a bit closer in to the twenty-one. He went off the left again. That was probably the right option um, in that in that uh, on that occasion. And then a little one out around the forty-five. This is pretty much the last kick of the game, and he chose to go short with that and made a balls of it. Now Shane Walsh looked confused. Shane Walsh wanted—I know he's captain of the team—but he wa- he wanted direction there. And Porik Joyce said after the game, he said again, we had a chance, but we messed it up and didn't force the draw. For me, that's on Porik Joyce to go down and talk to Shane
2: Walsh there, Conor. Porik Joyce has to take complete control there. Yeah, Yeah. demand that you are taking that shot. Like, there's a big win there as well. It's Shane Walsh. He's it's it's a nice angle. We've seen a few people like unbelievably kick these over now over the last few weeks. And if it doesn't go over, it's probably still your best chance of scoring because. Remember, Gary Sice has found a man really well, but he's kicked it 10 metres further forward, so the, the sideline's brought back. There is no way now that Mayo were going to let a short pass yeah. be, be taken, and then Paddy Durkin got in. Like Everybody was switched on. Like You're not going to get a second chance to play that ball short with every Mayo jersey back, so Shane Walsh kicking that from a dead ball was your best option, and if it doesn't go over, it could break to a Galway player, it could be punched over, they could get a foul. Like That was the option I think Parik Joyce needs to just needs to demand that you're taking that on. Because he's been talking about Shane Walsh being that player as well and being the Porrick Joyce of this Galway team. And that, that was the moment, I think.
1: Yeah. Like, I mean, in, in his defence, um of the outside of the right, which is the, the kick you really have to go for there, we see them, uh, players at the very top level, being able to kick them. It was probably into the wind at the start. The, the wind was coming probably across the field that direction. Now, it was with them, but from that side, you might have to
0: put it into the wind until it starts bending back. Yeah, look, I suppose not having been there, it's very difficult from watching on TV to gauge exactly uh, how the wind w- was was factoring in. But look, there's no doubt that Walsh was affected by the two frees he missed before that. Yeah. Um, and and that impacted upon his confidence. And you could almost see it when he went over to the sideline. He was almost looking, you know, to Conroy and looking to Horik Joyce, kind of thinking, well, will I go for it or will I pass it? Or, you know, whereas usually... I've been in those situations myself, and I suppose maybe you learn from a bit of experience that that sort of indecision it just is no good for anybody. What you have to do is just say, do you know what, I'm going to go for it. And, you know, if I miss, I miss, but I'm having the moral courage to actually go and take it on with a bit of conviction. So, look, there's no doubt his confidence was affected by the previous two. And then when it came to the third opportunity, to my mind, he was a little bit unsure of himself and he shied away from it. Um to be honest, I I felt at the time that this was like, oh my God, this is get out of jail for him. He's after missing two, and he has a chance now, to, I suppose, somewhat redeem himself a little bit at the end of the game. And it was, a, I think, it was a shot to nothing because, as you as you pointed out, I mean, it was very congested conditions underfoot, very difficult. So the chances of getting uh, a little one two and getting a shot off were probably quite limited. Time was against them. It was a free shot, and to my mind, um, it, it should have been taken on. And if he was showing a little bit of indecision on it, um, I would have almost expected Paul Conroy to go and just take the ball and, and, and have a go at it because um, I suppose maybe he, he could he could judge that himself and, and see that Walsh is, the, is is maybe not feeling it. But Shane Walsh is, is, the, is, is one of their leaders. He's probably their go-to man. Everybody in the team probably looks to him as being their most talented player. So you can understand why players would defer to him and say, OK, Shane Walsh has the ball now you know, he's going to go for it. So when he, when he missed the first few, the two before it, I think it's just his confidence was gone. He didn't have, didn't have the confidence in his taking ability at the time to go for it. And I'm sure it's something he will learn from. And I don't expect to see him. I'm not saying he'll get them all in the future, but I certainly would expect him to look at that and say, you know what? I'm never going to allow myself to be in that position again, where just because I've missed a couple, I'm going to, you know, to a certain extent, feel sorry for myself or allow that. I suppose, that mental weakness or fragility set in. Yeah. You know, whether whether I get it or not, if my, my skills may let me down, but my mentality won't let me down. And yeah. I, that's it's something like, that he learns from, perhaps. Yeah.
1: It's it's like a goalkeeper standing over a kickout not knowing what to do with it. It sends panic throughout the team. Now, he's, the big mistake he made was not going off the outside of the right on the first one because we, we see these kicks being, they're very rarely kicked off the inside of the boot and the left is slightly his weaker side. And if he'd gone for that first one, missed it, he would have got another one uh, a couple of minutes later, and you know he could have nailed it after the practice shot from the first one. He just took the rock, the wrong option the first time, and then his head was completely gone on the third one. A few weird refereeing decisions, like I mean, Liam Silk was rode near the end; it was a fell up on his back, and uh, he, he was given it was given a free against him. The the big one I saw you giving out on Twitter was the Paddy Durkin hit on Gary O'Donnell uh, Conan. He got a yellow card for this. One of the best timed uh, shoulder to shoulder challenges that you'll ever see. I'd love the referee to explain what he's given a yellow card in that instance for.
2: It, it was literally picture perfect, wasn't it? It was just shoulder to shoulder, like straight as you like. You know, There was no there was no hint of him coming in from behind him or coming in front of him. It was straight on his shoulder, not not looking to do anything else, but hit him on the shoulder, connected with him perfectly. The ball spilled out. The ref seemed to be, Hurston seemed to be signalling that he, he caught him above the head, now, which, which I always find very annoying because either... Either he's seen it or he hasn't, and if he has seen it, he hasn't seen that because there was nowhere—it was nowhere near catching him above the head. And you're right; like even for that to be a free is extremely frustrating. And then for Durkin to turn around and get a yellow card when he was initially supposed to be marking Shane Walsh, like that's a, that's a big, big call for a referee, and it could have affected the course of the game a lot more than it did.
1: The only it looked a bit severe because Gary O'Donnell wasn't expecting it, but that's not that's not Paddy Durkin's fault. Like I mean, he hit him lovely flush, and some people were saying that Gary O'Donnell didn't have control of the ball, but you don't have to have control of the ball to be hit with a fair shoulder. Players challenge each other with fair shoulders all the time, contesting a ball. So, like I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Gary O'Donnell got got a lovely hit; it laid him out, and Paddy Durkin should have uh, you know been celebrated rather than yellow card. We're not going to discuss Owen McLaughlin black card incident about whether it was a black card it was like just your pure professional foul keen like i mean he took his sin bin he knew he was getting his sin bin um he didn't want to concede a goal all those things it always looks terrible when you see when you see something like that you're like oh jesus mclaughlin didn't care you know it wasn't that clear-cut a goal chance it it was um it was kelly sean kelly running through he had chris barrett in front of him so like i mean I Don't
0: think it was a nailed on goal, even if he hadn't done it, he was just making sure, I suppose. Ah, yeah, well, look, it's a desperate uh chase back <laughs> for the team to try and just um you know prevent the opportunity. And um, yeah, look, it's very unfortunate for, for Galway that it just happened at that particular time. I mean, a half another half a step, and Kelly was away, and I suppose. When when Kelly got the ball, I was looking. I was thinking, Jesus, if he could, he needs to move this ball to Johnny Heaney quick before he goes to contact. Because if he goes to contact, it's game. You know, it's pretty much game over. There's no way Mayor are going to allow him to wriggle free. And McLaughlin, it was desperate. It was like it was a poor tackle. But um, look, I suppose in the in the nature of competitive sport, he he did what his teammates would have expected him to do. Um, but yeah, Johnny Heady was just on his right shoulder for Kelly. And maybe he was just slightly behind him. God, if he was half a if he was half a yard or a yard further on, uh, Kelly would have been able to slip him that ball before the tackle came in. And and then it was opened up. But as you say, Chris Barrett was right in front of him. Wasn't a hundred percent guaranteed a goal, but it was you would have imagined it was uh it was a fairly high percentage chance with the support runners he had with him. Um but look, Mayo, Mayo won't care, McLaughlin won't care. Um You know they feel that in do or die championship football they did. You know he did exactly what he needed to do for his team. Um, and look, neutrals won't like it. Yeah, when when you see something like that, you think, God, maybe there should be a a more severe penalty. Like that, if it's such a a blatant. Well, like if it's such a blatant foul, maybe you just give a penalty, even if it's not inside the box or something. Like it's just like we spoke about it before. Like I mean, these sort of blatant fouls up in your forward line. No, should that just be brought forward to a 14-yard free up the other end of the pitch because you're clearly making absolutely no attempt to play the ball. I mean, that's the severe end of it, and maybe that's something to advocate for because, uh, look, nobody likes to see it. We, we all just accept it as part of the game, but that doesn't make it right. Um, and maybe those infringements where it's so blatantly not an attempt to play within the rules of the game, and they're clearly gaining such an advantage in the context of the game, for making such a foul, maybe there needs to be a more severe penalty. and. A black card is not really a severe penalty at that stage of the game. The more severe penalty is, uh, you know, that, that a penalty, yeah. a, a penalty, yeah, a, a goal-scoring opportunity. And I can guarantee you something like that will completely change the context of these games right until the very end because you, teams would not just be allowed the opportunity to drag guys to the ground off the ball. I mean, if the opposition are taking a kick out and you drag, you, you drag the corner back to the ground and it's a penalty up the other end of the pitch, I mean, that'd slightly change your mentality. But until there's a really severe penalty for those sort of infractions, then teams are going to continue to do them.
1: Yeah, the problem with that is referees will start giving, will start giving penalties for genuine attempts to tackle and will all be given out. That's how you have they made a complete balls of it. What about Cavan, Conan? Like, I mean, they're the story of the weekend again. Like, I mean, you, you want to have an awful lot of respect for Cavan. They look down and out at the end of the league. You know, Clear's missing. Um, relegated all those things that was being talked about with Kevin, they came from seven down against Monaghan, um then to beat Antrim and the following week to come from ten down against Monaghan. Mickey Graham um was talking afterwards, he said he said to them after halftime, If this is to be our last act this year, let's die with our boots on. I told him I told him if this is to be our last thirty-five minutes, let's have a cut at it because there's no point to having a moral victory and losing by four or five points. Now, my answer to Mickey Graham would be: This is a knockout Ulster semi-final. Can that not be the fecking message before the match? <laughs>
2: <laughs> I think you're being uh, very harsh again. I, I think um, <laughs> I, I, Mickey Graham uh, has has seen what was happening and he he just reacted. Uh, I think he reacted in a really good way, like. I could see why he might have been spooked by Down because they were so fast, like Kerr and Mooney and and just the running power they had coming through the middle. So I can see why Calvin wanted to have a few more bodies to try and chase him and then try and ward that off. But once Mickey Mickey Graham got a look at what was going on, I think he adjusted the team really well and then putting... Like, putting Galligan and bringing on Madden and putting them inside, that just completely stretched down. It It meant that it meant that McKernan had to come right back when he was sweeping. He couldn't sweep out around the 40. He was right back in the 13 most of the time. There was chaos in there. Cavan were getting more space around the middle. They completely suffocated the kick out. And, like, big McKernan... Like, I, I know Madden got mad in the match, and that's what everybody was talking about, and he was spectacular. But Garry's McKernan, like... he He's on a different level. It's like when he has these... These ten out of ten games, we don't even consider it anymore because you're just you're just used to him winning eight kickouts and kicking fifty meter scores, and it's it's unbelievable what he's bringing to Kevin. And like you could tell from the very start when they came out at halftime, like Paporic Faulkner was one of them, and Killian Clark was the other one, and they were just getting everyone going, and you could tell that they they weren't going to let this go, and they had a couple of goal chances, they they never. Like There was never one stage where it didn't look frightening, even when they were 10 points down. So it was actually a really enjoyable game. And once Calvin started taking over in the middle, he felt like they were always going to get back into it. And they got ahead, actually, with about what, eight, eight, nine minutes to go as well.
1: Yeah, I think Down lost 10 of their 12 kickouts. So Faulkner to midfield, Galligan to 14, and Madden on in beside him, who's a big enough fella and can win in the air. Maybe Mickey Graham has stumbled across you know, his best team at half time in a game. I don't know, Keenan I'm being too hard on Mickey Graham because what he's done with Cavan has been absolutely sensational. I'm, I'm being a little bit cheeky with him. I just do think it's a reflection of the modern game where, you know, down have a lead. Cavan, let's keep it tight, lads. You know, let's go in at halftime with something to build on instead of Cavan going, well, we're a better team than down. Let's actually go in maybe leading by a point against the
0: wind and really rip the script up for Down. Yeah, well, I think uh, Cavan have been a little bit conservative uh, Maybe in the first half of, you know, all their championship games really against Monaghan, um, well, maybe they were they were they were a little bit uh, they were getting ripped by yeah. Monaghan, so I can't blame them for having to adjust things to be a bit defensive. But they seem to be um a more exciting team going forward, and they seem to get more productivity when they just really have a cut at it and actually go go after the game. You know, when they free up Faulkner from maybe defensive shackles and let them go and chase the ball and put pressure on the opposition in the middle sector of the field and up front. They just seem to be a little bit better. Um and when they're maybe a little bit more ambitious in their attacking play as well. I mean we've they have they have some very, very big powerful guys and um when they put the ball into them they're, you know, they're well able to win it up front. Um and look Gallaghan's been a Pretty much a sensation in the championship yeah. with his ball-winning ability around the middle. I mean, and he's up- a, he's in he's in All
1: Star uh, territory now. This is knockout football. We spoke about Joe Brodie getting an All Star. I think it was nineteen ninety eight, based off uh, two good games in the Ulster Star Championship. Uh, Galligan now has played three and has been outstanding. Like I mean, he's he's a shoe in at the moment for an All Star.
0: Oh well, he's he's definitely he's definitely one of the top fetching midfielders around the place at the minute. And in terms of his impact on games, it's absolutely sensational. <laughs> like for a guy who's come off the bench in a few games and he's just been absolutely awesome. Um and look, as con as Conan pointed out, like Rod McKiernan is just he's a colossus for Cavan. I mean, it wasn't just against Down where team looks to him, but I mean, my God, in the games up to now as well, the amount of, the amount of kickouts he wins. Is just unbelievable with himself and Gallagher in there, and then the powerful presence of Clark and Faulkner. Like, I mean, they're having have, have some serious, serious footballers, and fair play to them. I mean, we can talk about the, the tactical approach and different things like that. I mean, look, maybe sometimes you get a bit lucky in games too, and, and things work for you. But Cavan went after it and chased it down, and down played some lovely football at times in the first half. And it was, you know, when it works for them with the running off the shoulder and the pace of their players, I mean, it looks sensational, but. You know, in a sort of a in a in a dirty sort of a, a game there where it was um underfoot conditions were heavy and it needed that bit of raw physical power. Cavan had it in spades and um you know, considering the, the the difficulty of the games they've had and the extra time against Monaghan, like fair play to them because they've had to dig deep in all of their games and they deserve huge credit for that.
1: Yeah, I think they, they discussed the penalty on League Sun. I have to say, when I saw the penalty first, I was like, yeah, it's definite penalty, touched it on the ground. I didn't even notice Conor Madden sneaking off the field and back in around and knocked it out of his hand. So it wasn't a penalty. I actually think Kevin would have won the game even without that penalty. Like, I mean, they'd gone three clear and then down rallied. You know what I mean, Conan? Like, Conor? Like I have to even wonder, was the wind that strong? Because Sheelan Johnson kicked one from outside the 45 for down. And like, mm-hmm. I mean, if the wind is a very strong wind, you know, like, I mean, you're not going to be just, he's only a little slip of a fella.
2: Yeah, like, I, I don't think the the win played that big a part in it. And, like, you're right, C- Kevin were potent throughout. Like, Martin Riley in the first half w- was very disgruntled because he had gone through on goal and the ref pulled it back for a, for a free. Like, he was definitely going to bury it. And the down goal in the first half started with a kick out that was one inside their own 45. Not only was it caught beyond the sideline, so it should have been a sideline to Kevin, it was inside the 45 and the ref gave a mark for it and uh down went up and scored a goal like i th- i think kevin would have like they just they just had their number and they just completely once they got blood on their nostrils they they didn't let up and when they suffocated that kick out there was no like i think down's decision to bring off liam Kerr as well was baffling like he, he was really hurting so even when kevin were on top it was still Mooney and Kerr that were driving through the middle and the pace they had it was was serious and they couldn't stop it and for some reason about 48 minutes in like Paddy Talley whipped them off, and Down just looked a lot less dangerous. They got on top of Jerome Johnson as well, who had kicked five in the first half. But uh, I think McLaughlin did a great job on him.
1: Yeah, big shout out to Connor Madden for the pass to Galligan for that mark. And um, that's what the attacking mark is all about. None of this nonsense. It's a good boot down the field and a catch. And if you do that once or twice in either half, doesn't doesn't that add a lot a lot of excitement to a game? And that's a that's that's a mark that's worth an easy tap uh, tap over score. That's the um, really work. That's the Colin Park. so what that's the mark I had had envisaged. Just just to give one one further shout out to Mickey Graham. Like I mean, look at the two years. Forget about the league. I don't care about that. They were actually unlucky in the league this year. They won three. Six points usually keeps you up. They beat Monaghan last year. Hadn't beaten Monaghan in a long time. And um, then they went beat Armagh after a replay. You know, squeaky bum time in that in both both those games. Then this year come along, beat Monaghan after being seven down. Then beat Antrim in a in a, you know, a, a defensive game and then come down from 10 points against down. Like, I mean, it's sensational. Now, there won't be Donegal, but like Mickey Graham has a lot of likability and he's after doing an absolutely brilliant job um, with Kevin and with some players back next year. There's no doubt that they can they can build on that. They'll absolutely kill me for writing them off uh, so fast. But I think Donegal are 1-14 to 14 for that match. We'll talk about that on Thursday. I want to talk quickly about uh, Donegal and the Pader Morgan goal, lads. And it just goes to show, Keane, the obsession with Michael Murphy because i put Kennedy completely at fault for this because my ball kicked into Michael Murphy. Aiden Farker's man marking Michael Murphy. Aidan Farker's job going out in that field is to follow him everywhere. Now, Aidan Farker was closer to Padder Mogan when the ball broke and Kennedy stood there looking at him like, like Aiden Farker's going to chase Mogan and then neither of them did it because Aiden Farker is watching correctly Michael Murphy. It's just Kennedy. It's not your job to watch Michael Murphy. We to watch where Padder Mogan's going.
0: Yeah, well, I think it's uh, it's what we talk about in terms of defensive decision-making. These man-marking jobs that guys are given, um, even when they're given the job, I mean, for God's sake, sometimes you have to have enough cop on to see what the danger is. Um, both are Ma players. I blame both of them, although Kennedy takes more of the blame because, I suppose, as you say, Forker was specifically given this thing on Michael Murphy, and we'll give him a bit of leeway, but... Either way, both of them were at fault. The threat was Mogan going in behind. Worst case scenario gets popped back to Murphy, and he has a he has a difficult scoring opportunity. But um, yeah, look, just very poor defensive decision making, and, and it it cost them because that goal, along with a couple of scores before half time, killed them in the game. But look, it does go to show the benefit of having um, Murphy in closer to goal, whereby he does occupy the thoughts of um, the thoughts and prayers of of probably opposition defenders.
1: Yeah. And then I suppose both Forker and Kennedy left and Mogan cut across them. And you should never do that. Like, I mean, you know, when a forward cuts across you, he's almost expecting to be fouled. Let's say Mogan couldn't believe that he cut across. Now he is faster than the two of them and suddenly he's in on goals. I saw Justin McNulty on Twitter, Conan, complaining about the steps, uh, Morgan Mogan took. I've seen much worse cases than this. Like, Justin McNulty, in all fairness, you've just been bet out the gate. Um, don't think that goal is going to make too much, uh, difference. Not the worst case of steps I've ever seen, Conan
2: death taxes and somebody on twitter giving out about step <laughs> for a great goal again fe- i didn't even think of that every time i see a great goals ruined a day later by somebody pointing out that they've taken six <laughs> or seven steps great goal get over it
1: yeah, but I would say four to six steps here, which is completely, in my mind, acceptable. Like, I mean, with some, we've seen some goals when we're up to 12, 14 steps. Like, I mean, listen, Justin, this is not the time to be whinging about steps. Did you see Eton Rafferty tried to hit Neil McGee uh, keen? Like, I mean, I remember Stephen. <laughs> I O'Neil. did,
0: actually, yeah. That was, that was uh, quite so he... entertaining. I'm just disappointed we didn't get a few replays of it.
1: Yeah, because this was the obvious... Uh, you know, a clip that does the rounds of poor Stephen O'Neill years ago uh, trying to hit McGee, and he's running in as as hard as he can going to knock Neil McGee, and Neil McGee doesn't really see him, and he just bounces off him like he's like he's built of stone. And it, this Eton Rafferty was the exact same thing, only Eton Rafferty, you'd imagine, is a bigger man, had lined up McGee, and McGee's not really too bothered about it. He's just, you know, just standing, preparing himself for the shoulder. <laughs> Ethan Rafferty is peeled out in the ground.
0: Yeah, well, McGee is an absolute beast of a man. He's a beast. <laughs> uh, he's. Uh, it was a real throwback of the... Uh, I'm just disappointed he hand-passed the ball off. He needed to drive that ball 70 metres up the field uh, <laughs> after that hit and do a bit of a cheer and whatever, but... Uh, yeah, Jesus Christ, it looked uh I'd say Raverty might have even got with or something after after it whatever. Well, maybe Rafferty maybe Raverty slipped. Maybe he maybe he lost his footing as he <laughs> connected, but Jesus, it looked uh, it uh, it it would do wonders for the aura of McGee as the the Iron Man full back anyway.
1: It definitely, it definitely would. So I, I saw a half an hour of the Leash Dublin match before um, before the hurling started. And we'll talk about that a bit in performance of the weekend. But one thing was noticeable is Leash had a turnover thrown up for trash talking. It was Robbie Piggott. And I was delighted with this because we saw this in the cork Kerry match last weekend, Conan. And I'm delighted to see referees putting a stop to this because you turn over a ball and you'll accept the kind of celebration. And it's kind of evolved from you celebrating the turnover to celebrating the turnover and tell your man you've turned over you're useless or whatever they say <laughs> to them. And it just looks poxy. And there's two weeks in a row, because I forgot to mention this last Monday when it was in, happened in the court game. And, uh, you know, it's a great thing that, that referees are starting to clamp down on it.
2: it. It's it's happening all over. Like, there's that picture of all the Armagh boys around Michael Murphy as well. It's like... Come on, yeah. lads, you're getting hammered. Michael Murphy is winning every ball. Like the one time he gives away a free and everybody's around him. Um, That that one, I wonder, with Leash, was it because Piggott took it a bit too far and he seemed to throw John Small to the ground? They, they were all cheering and then Pig, Pigott just got carried away, grabbed him and threw him to the ground. And the ref <laughs> said, Here, like you've gone too far. They were, well, there they, you go.
1: There you go. Now it's evolved from celebrating it to abusing him to now
2: <laughs> just throwing you on the ground. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Killian Clark had a great post on Instagram actually because it happened to him as well in the first half were we're down were ten points up and they were laughing at him and somebody had a little pull at his his hair, he did have a, a, a bobble in his hair and uh he put up that Michael Jordan picture, you know that, that infamous meme where it's like I took it personally and then obviously Calvin went on and won the match. So it's not going well for these teams. it's these people here trash talking and over celebrating winning a free, they're usually losing in the end.
1: Yeah, no they usually are. Just one other point from that match is Russ Munley came on and there was a statue in the rounds keen that Ross Munley is the only player in Leinster that has a Leinster medal outside of Dublin, and I was just wondering how you know how depressing that is for the whole of the Leinster Championship, and we know how Dublin have dominated it to the point you're not even surprised. I just couldn't believe Leash were minus minus fifteen uh, the other night because you knew what was coming. Um, you know the way Leash wouldn't completely defend, maybe with fourteen behind the ball, and then I was thinking, like, I mean, is the All Ireland going ahead in a similar uh, direction? Like, Donegal have Murphy, McBrearty and Paddy McGrath with All-Ireland Medals. Like, they won't be around for much longer. Kerry have probably more from 2014. Paul Murphy, Peter Crowley, David Moore and Stephen O'Brien, Geaney, James O'Donoghue. Kieran Sheehan, shout out to him from Cork, is still playing with one. But, like, I mean, it's not beyond the, the bounds of possibility for Dublin to continue winning All-Irelands until there's literally nobody left with All-Ireland Medals, only du- only Dublin players
0: oh jesus christ that's depressing <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's it's quite outrageous
1: though like i mean the domination is just it's it's out of control as far as i can
0: see yeah i'll look at if it gets to the stage where there's no other uh, inter county players um, in the country that have all earned the medals outside of dublin i think it's time to uh, that we can all just quit and start analysing other sports or watching other sports. Well, we can split Dublin points. then. There'll have to be a case for splitting Dublin. Oh, no, been. just for, forget them. Just let them play the <laughs> Dublin Club Championship and then have an inter-county campaign with, without Dublin. It'd be grand then.
1: No, just give them the All-Ireland and play a B Championship with everybody
0: else. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can't go, but it's It's an interesting, um, I suppose, bit of information, but it puts it all into perspective, I suppose, Um closest Mead have. I think Donald Kilgan was doing water by for us when we won the Leinster in 2010 so maybe he's the closest Mead have to anyone who's won something. I remember for a long time when, when I was playing it was Nigel Crawford was the, was the only Mead player left with an All-Ireland medal and this was a terrible thing at the time. God, it's just uh, it's amazing how far the thing has turned that, um, you know, not only is there no one from Mead with a, playing with an All-Ireland medal there's no one with a Leinster medal and pretty soon there would be no one in the in the country outside Dublin without an All-Ireland medal. Yeah, it's pretty bad. A very, very bad, bad thought.
1: Come here, Connor. i have got to finish up this last one with you. So the BBC coverage getting loads of uh, compliments. You know, Mickey Hart was on it. Um, saw Joe Brawley singing its praises again, obviously trying to dig in at RTE. Like, he's definitely scorned over that. He won't let it go. Here is my point to you. BBC coverage are Ulster-centric. There's no pundit from anywhere other than Ulster on BBC. And I have an issue with this because the GEA is a 32-county organisation <laughs> There's people down south who know a thing or two about football, even even Ulster football, believe it or not. And they are just completely discriminating against every other province just for an Ulster bias.
2: Uh, hang on, you you boys want to come up and cover Ulster football when you can't even win a Leinster fucking championship? <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't possibly understand the depths of Ulster football, I think. But this that-
1: is, this is worse than hurling snobbery. This is Ulster football snobbery at its worst. No pundit is is invited onto the BBC to cover an Ulster match.
2: <laughs> it is it is actually funny when you when you put it like that, considering the. The defensiveness of Ulster people, and and they want to be seen as equal on the in the Irish states as well. But now we don't let people into Ulster. But but I would say that was a, that would be a stronger case if it wasn't for Canavan Hart and Ashley McComble. I just don't know who you're losing from that. Like I, I don't like I'm all for Colin Parkinson coming up and analysing a match, but I'm not getting rid of one of those boys for it.
1: I'm not talking about myself now. You're only giving <laughs> people the green light to start giving me shit about that. This is the point that I'm making: is that listen you have Ulster people whinging about the RTE player we can't see and what about us up here? Oh, you had Joe Broly tweeting yesterday that people in Ulster are whinging about not being able to enter the competition on RTE. And here, not only have you got the three pundits, you go down to the sideline and you're more Ulster pundits. Listen, <laughs> listen, just accept that you play the poor mouth often enough and when it comes down to it you are not inclusive at all when it comes to your punditry.
2: What what would come up though? Do you know where it comes up saying like Peter Canavan, three all the medals, six authors? <laughs> what would come up like, like Cian Ward played in a few last finals? <laughs> <laughs> well I, Leave I, me I, out of it, leave me <laughs> out of it. <laughs> <laughs> I have to I have to laugh the one time I was on
1: the Sunday game and like I was joking about this the next day, so I was on with Kieran Whelan and Tony Davis and it flashed up um <laughs> flashed up, Kieran Wheelan, uh, All Stars, Six Leinsters, whatever. Tony Davis, All Ireland, and then it came up, Colin Parkinson, uh, most influential journalist on Twitter. Because <laughs> <laughs> the Examiner had given me some stupid thing like that. Anyways, I thought that was funny. Right, we we'll leave we we'll leave BBC coverage alone. We'll come back and look at the matches.
0: I've had fellas follow me And not just carf lads You know what I mean mm. it, it happens It happens yeah. and, and it does happen yeah. But I'll tell you one thing It's a lonely spot And the best thing you can do Is keep moving And I thought Connolly yeah. Looked to be trying to do yeah. that The last time yeah.
1: The camera shows It doesn't look great Yeah there was um, Maybe they could say It was theatrical or whatever, But like, the reality is That there was contact And um, I wasn't trying to win a penalty I was trying to go out And win the ball
2: You know Actually it's funny Your man Conan Watching him on, the, on your programme Like I, I was one of he had the same match as me. He was kind of making out 30 but I'm lucky to lose like
1: that. Yeah. M- so we start off with the Connacht final lads, Mayo 14, Galway 13. Uh, not a brilliant game or anything like that but I thought Galway kind of unrecognisable again from the team early in the league. I thought the obvious change for Galloway was Gary O'Donnell kind of started as a wing forward but played wing back and they played a sweeper. Wouldn't be overly critical about that against the wind with Aidan O'Shea in a full forward keen. I suppose when you add to the fact that they played Paul Kelly as a wing forward, as a defensive wing forward, and then you have Paul Conroy playing centre half forward and playing in midfield, now you're looking at a pretty defensive setup. Whereas you could kind of forgive the sweeper once it didn't mess up your shape too much. Now you're looking at your generic 12 behind the ball, a huge disconnect to your forwards, and Galway offered, outside of the very first point of the game and a point just before half time, they offered zero really in an offensive uh, capacity in the first half.
0: Yeah, they struggled going forward. But it, look, it was more to do with their skill execution most of the time. I mean, the, the quality of their ball retention and kick passing and hand passing, the basics of the game, handling errors. It was just really, really poor from them in the first half. And they continued to put themselves under pressure. By by the nature of the way they were playing with trying to flood their defence and not give Mayo easy scoring opportunities with the wind to build up a lead. You know, they were they were, I suppose, stealing themselves of the opportunity to press Mayo in their defence. So yeah. any time they did lose the ball high up the field it was then into a period of Mayo Mayo possession and And then when Galway were getting their hands on the ball again, they'd make another silly mistake, and most the majority of them were unforced errors um, from themselves. Which, but did did they have it? Yeah, did they have enough players up in front of the ball? You know how
1: hard it is to come out against the wind. You know, and like, I mean, they're trying to force a pass because there wasn't enough options in front of
0: them. Yeah, I think I could understand to a certain extent what they were trying to do was isolate guys with pace up front like Keneally and Walsh and different things like that and leave the, leave the open spaces to be able to play that ball into them. But their execution of it just wasn't good enough. Now, look, yeah, we'd probably like to have seen them with a couple more bodies up there, but that maybe plays a little bit into Mayo's hands at times because Mayo's defenders like... Like to just drive forward, and with the pace that they have, if you're a if you're a forward and you're maybe a yard or two behind um one of those guys, and they they tear off up the field, you're going to find it very difficult to get back outside side and be any any sort of use to your team in, in a defensive uh way. But Galway were a little bit ponderous, but it was it was mainly to do with their skill execution let them down. Like when they did get possession, it was always going to be a, a slower build up against the wind, um, and when they were trying to get their bodies back field by you know reta- you know, working the phases of possession they were just giving the ball away and Mayo kind of punished them and that was probably the difference at the end of the game was those mistakes from Galway players in possession giving the ball away cheaply like trying passes at times that weren't on like Conroy gave one in the first half from he was coming out he's maybe in the half back position or just into midfield and he plays this pass into Keneally uh, sc- scuttered in along the ground with a defender on his back like just dreadful stuff that It it wasn't the right option, number one, and the execution of the pass was very poor as well. So they just got a little bit scrambled in what they were trying to do. And if you keep losing possession like that, it becomes wave after wave of Mayo attacks. So obviously, if you're a forward, you're going to have to run after your man because your team don't have the ball again. So I I don't know if Galway necessarily were, were trying to be as defensive as it looked in the first half. They just couldn't get a platform in the game. Like, really what you need to do in those situations is get the ball up the field, you know, get a score, get the ball over the bar, and then maybe you have the opportunity to press you know, on the opposition kick-out and then you have your players in place. But Galway didn't really get enough opportunity over the course of the 35 minutes of the first half to do that. So they were just always on top. And it was to me, it was those errors in that period of the game in the first half that actually cost Galway overall because their second-half performance was obviously, with the win, was significantly better. While still not being fantastic, it was significantly better. And what was... You know, fairly dour game, really.
1: Yeah, I think, yeah, Gary O'Donnell, Shane Walsh, there was a good few of them guilty of the hand passes um going astray in the first half. But, like, I mean, th- there was a great move just before half time. Paul Kelly got a score, but that came off a free kick where they actually could get forwards into position. I think it was Michael Daly um, took the free kick and it was into someone, lay off the Paul Kelly, good score. So, you know, the Johnny Heaney goal chance in the second half, A good ball, Shane Walsh, down to Silk, I think, who popped it off to Heaney, running off the shoulder. Kind of reminiscent of how Galway were playing before um, at the start of the league, um, before the lockdown, Conan, And we just didn't see any decent Galloway play, you know, through the lines, anything like that. Like, I mean, their good play came from Shane Walsh and Paul Connery, who kicked spectacular scores, but they weren't good football scores. You know, these are just outstanding point kickers kicking outstanding
2: points, rather than saying, geez, Galloway are playing good, some good stuff here. Mm, like, th- through the lines is the best way you can put it, because Galloway were playing such textbook football before the break everyone was looking at them thinking that that looks very simple and it looks class as well and they had the shape i i do really think that mayo's runners from deep just messed up their shape they, we have this conversation all the time they almost worked too hard and then they were out of position and they tried to get back in the position but as Keane was saying then a couple of just skittery balls it seemed like galway then Sometimes you were trying to do the right thing, but kicking it from too far, like terrible balls inside, like from way down the pitch. Or too far back, yeah. Yeah. Or like there's a couple of times you try to play those little twenty yard passes inside. It was rolling along the ground and this is Mayo defenders as well. Like they were all like right up their backsides. They were never going to let them pick up a handy ball, especially one that was like bouncing along the ground. So just a few bad decisions and like executed poorly as well. Just, like that 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 was so unlike what we had seen from Galway at the start of the year, where everything was just it oozed confidence and and class. And as I said, it was textbook. They went through the lines well, but this time it was just they were they had no conviction in, in their kicking.
1: No, no conviction. I don't think Parik e. Joyce had conviction in what he believed in before the break, you know, until after the break. This spanking off Mayo obviously spooked him and, you know, he went for the sweeper in front of Aiden O'Shea. Again, I'm not going to criticise that because if Aiden O'Shea ran in muck without a sweeper, you'd be given out. I just would be critical of not holding their shape um, a little bit more and giving them a chance because, like, I mean, Mayo showed at the start of the second half how to play against the wind Um, Keen, like, those three points in a row at the start of the second half, that was practically game over at that stage, you know, it was 11-6 and, you know, actually attacking the game, you know, I think Mayo did a much better
0: job playing into that wind than goal with it. Oh, uh, yeah, look, they, they, they had more of a structure to them, they created more opportunities, they had the goal chance um, that was saved as well, and um, yeah, there was a bit more to Mayo in terms of just the re- the regression playing against the wind and kind of as you say going for it a bit more. But it was I just think Galway just made more unforced errors across the game. Like I mean, even in the second half, uh, Conan has mentioned that they're trying to play the ball from too far. I mean, Conroy kicked one over the end line. I can't remember someone else played the ball through to Keneally, which flew past him and he just he couldn't keep it in play. Like, these are the sort of there's there's only X amount of opportunities that you get in a match to to you know, to get scores. And when you're cheaply kind of losing these opportunities and then you're playing against a mature team like Mayo, who were able to hold on to possession that much better, work their opportunities a little bit better in the second half against the wind. You just don't get this ball doesn't keep coming back to you and you can't afford to, to waste it. Because what happens then is when you're, when you're chasing a game, then a little bit of panic starts to set in for teams and they start to force things. And to their credit, despite all the errors and everything like that, like, all of were still right. They somehow had managed to stay right in the game until the end. Now I would be more critical of like Mayo didn't play that well, really, in terms of they were the architects of their own downfall because they didn't kill the game when the opportunity was there to kill the game. Like that, that break where, um, where I think it was McLaughlin was through and he had the goal shot saved. I mean, that, that has to be a goal. Like that, if Dublin are going through like that, the, that ball is in the back of the net, and the game is over. And then they probably get a couple more goals on the counter attack. You know, as the as the opposing team has to continue to chase the game. Like it's when you're three, four, five points ahead, it's it's getting the goal or it's getting the the two or three more points to, you know, take the result beyond doubt. That's what kills a team. And Mayor still didn't put Galway away now, and it was more, you know, that was probably what kept Galway in the game as much as. You know, good good play from Galway because, as you say, there wasn't a consistent period of good play from Galway. It was more individual brilliance and and good point scoring from some of their top men, rather than uh, kind of patterns of play that got them back into it. But yeah, like overall, Galway will be really really disappointed because they didn't bring their best performance to the table at all, and they will feel that despite all the mistakes that they made. They still had an opportunity to salvage something from the game, and it looked, you know, in the in the latter stages of it. I mean, they had three opportunities really to 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 get that game to a draw match. with, you know, or sorry, the accumulation of of these chances with Walsh's two freeze on the sideline, they were decent opportunities. And of course, they'll feel quite aggrieved um, with what looked like a fairly clear foul on Liam Silk as well, which was in a very scoring opp- very scorable position. So, um. Yeah, overall, Mayo just got across the line, did just about enough, but this is Mayo and these knockout games until they get to play Dublin. They're able to somehow manage to get over the line, um, sometimes with uh, sometimes with a bit of luck and sometimes with a bit of good play.
1: Yeah, I think they got the shot the match-up on Aidan O'Shea uh, perfect. Sean Kelly uh, did a great job on Aidan. Um I think the minute Mayo realised that he was there was someone going to sweep in front of him, they brought him out to midfield. But Galway were doing well on their kickouts, and maybe... Um, they thought that they needed some help out there. But Sean Kelly is a real, uh, he's a winter. I've described him as a league type of footballer. He's an old dog and he's got great heart. And he was the perfect man um, for Aiden O'Shea. Paddy Durkin picked up Shane Walsh, which is another obvious, uh, fairly obvious matchup, uh, Connor.
2: Yeah, and like what Sean Kelly did was what a lot of those good markers do then is that they they use that opportunity to to go forward as well when they could and he seemed to always be breaking forward really dangerously. Like it, he was the one man that it looked like Mayo were struggling to, to get a handle on. But I'm actually just so happy that they're using Aiden O'Shea this way. And like a big part of that's obviously down to Tommy Conroy as well because he's lightening up inside and O'Shea is like a, a great bonus when he's inside and frees up Killian O'Connor and frees up Conroy. But... Like, we've spoken about this loads of times. Like, O'Shea, I think at his best, is a a brilliant workhorse, like a really effective workhorse. And because he's such a big name and he's so effective at everything he does, sometimes everybody looks to him to to be that match winner all the time. But like the accumulation is, is what Keane's talking about like Aiden O'Shea does enough to put a team in a position to win matches with his defensive work and his midfield work and I just love seeing him out there and I thought I thought that was a good battle because I don't think he was silenced anyway he just uh he
0: went through a mountain of work on him. Yeah, I I thought he had a a fairly s- significant influence on the game, particularly in the second half when Mayo needed to just get their hands on the ball and hold on to it and in fairness to him, he like as we know, he's he's an incredible man to be able to take punishment and take tackles and yeah. just break the line or or draw in two defenders and then slip the ball off to the runner and a lot of the unsung, you know, the unheralded work that Aidan O'Shea does because he's not he's not a spectacular player he's not a, he's not a good forward but he's a fantastic focal point for a team to play off because he he gives a platform for other players around him to do well and um, and I thought he had a big influence on the game despite the fact that Kelly had a really good game as well and was was dangerous for Galway when he broke away from O'Shea O'Shea's influence around the middle just in terms of keeping getting Mayo's hands on the ball I thought was quite significant in the second half particularly.
1: Yeah, Michael Daly was fairly disappointing in midfield. Ian Burke seems to have lost his his form com- completely. And then when you when you have uh, when you have Shane Walsh drifting out around to the midfield, you're left with Desi Keneally, who let's be honest, who has no experience as an inside for- as an inside forward at this level. He's kind of your main man then up front. It's just like, oh Jesus, I don't know from Galway. I, I was disappointed with Galway. I thought it was interesting that um, Keane Darcy was taken off after 23 minutes. Now he des- he deserved to go off. After 23 minutes, uh, Steve did very little when he came on for him um, either. But Darcy never got his hands on the ball. I think one possession in 23 minutes. He was walking past Joyce. Joyce didn't even acknowledge him. Like he just, he just, he just didn't even enter, entertain him at all. I, I was wondering, is Joyce wrong for not? consoling him after taking him off or like the worst thing you want is the manager to put out his hand Keane and shake your hand
0: you know what I mean you'd nearly feel like pushing him away there maybe you're better off being ignored in that situation uh, Jesus after 23 minutes uh, neither party wants to talk to each other for a few days I'd say it might be the best <laughs> uh, you certainly don't want this fake little poxy handshake from somebody no. who's after pulling you off after 23 minutes uh, you'd certainly listen there's no player really warrants being taken off after 20 minutes unless they're having an absolute horror show with multiple mistakes. I mean, not getting your hands on the ball when you're when your teammates around you consistently keep losing it on you. I mean, that's not really much of a reason to take a guy off. But not, nonetheless, if he was being specifically given a task and a job to do by the manager and he wasn't fulfilling that task, well then, look, that's, that's what you'd expect yeah. is to be whipped. But look, it, to be fair to Darcy, he was just a bit unlucky, I think, for himself in that Galway weren't getting much of a platform, and he was the one that was was uh, was sacrificed to get Steed on the pitch. And it's probably a case of the management maybe before the game probably wanted to start Steed, felt they couldn't. Maybe it was a borderline decision. And we see this a lot when there's a, a high profile player uh, who doesn't get a start in these games. I mean, if the team is not going well in the first 50, in the first twenty minutes, somebody gets somebody gets sacrificed and scapegoated, um, and it's usually the guy who just about got the nod ahead of the other fella. And as you say. He didn't really have much of an impact on the game when he came in, but it's more a reflection of maybe where the management either um, rate their players more than anything that Darcy actually did for that time he was on the pitch.
1: Yeah, just to finish up and that was interesting to see um Sean Kelly uh for the throw in on Aiden O'Shea. He didn't even entertain the throw in, he just ran straight and bumped into Aiden O'Shea like a complete a complete another foul that I don't know how players get away with that. Uh you know, obstruction. Um, in throw-ins, there seems to be no... All rules seem to go out the window once the throw-in gets away and somebody wins it. You can actually just kill each other and wrestle and not even entertain it. But anyways, we leave that game, lads, because Donegal were very impressive against Armagh. I had a bad weekend, definitely the teams I've kind of backed. Armagh, Kildare and Galloway um, down through the last couple of years. I've given up on Armagh completely. Um, you know, They're done with me now. We've broken up. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Um, like I mean, you know, they're relatively competitive for the first twenty minutes until Donegal completely took over around the mid around the midfield, you know, destroyed the Marmad, gave away the ball a lot. Like Stephen Campbell, like bouncing the ball as he runs past the player's tackle. Like it's I mean, this is just mm. like one of the basic things. He did it twice in the game. Like one of the most basic things you do if you're running past a player. Don't solo or hop it. It's the time, like I mean, where the contact is going to come, and it's just so stupid. We had Jared O'Burns calling marks and playing on, and not really knowing whether to stop. This is a midfielder who should know what he's doing, and uh, Ryan O'Neill running around the field. Running over, trying to get on freeze and look good off the outside of his boot. How about you win a kick out, Rian? Or how about you get in there, you're marking Owen Bon Gallagher, who's half your size. How about you win a couple of hard balls instead of running around the field? Someone else gets fouled, and you're looking to take the free. He was a major disappointment uh, for me. His brother Ushin, uh, uh you know, he played he played fairly well and tried hard, but Ryan. I'm, I have a lot of time for Ian O'Neill, but he needs a good kick up the arse because his head might be getting into the clouds because it was a terrible performance by him and a performance that made me think, does this lad want to get stuck in here or does he want to look good? And on the evidence of Saturday, he just wants to run around um, looking good. I think, Keane, the big problem with Armagh, with starting Armagh, I'll give a mention of Donegal then, I was thinking, what's wrong with them? Why are they so off the top teams? And I know what's wrong with it. They have no pace in their team, none. They have no pace in their forward line. And like, I mean, where are you going? If, if on a couple of occasions, Rory Grugan got it in a dangerous position and he was one on one with his man, he could do not only turn around and go back out the field again, and and it was Jared O'Burns in, a, in a, a, a good position as well, and he did the same. Jared O'Burns has no has no pace in midfield. Ushine O'Neill has no pace. Farker has no pace. Pace. O'Neill, the wing back, has no pace. Has no pace. You have Michael Shields, who has a bit of pace. We saw nothing of him. He was doing nothing. Their corner backs can attack all they want, but they've no pace. If you have no pace in your team, Stephen Campbell, no pace. Jamie Clark, no pace. Reena O'Neill, no pace. Um, like I mean, Rory Grugan,
0: no pace. They have no pace, Keith. Uh, sorry what, what point are you trying to make there Willie? <laughs> uh, look I think you're being uh, I think you're being very harsh I, I don't think that they're I don't think they're entirely lacking a pace I mean look, they don't have any absolute outright flyers like uh, Donegal seem to have multiple guys and uh, in fairness a lot of lads can look uh, maybe a little bit lethargic when they're running after some of them but maybe is a reflection of what happens when you play against a team like Donegal who retain possession so well when you give it to them, that you end up going through multiple phases of play where you're moving left and right, you're chasing this way, that way and the other way and then when it does come an opportunity for you to get on the ball or to try and make something happen for yourselves, guys are dragged into positions that they don't want to be in on the field you know, you could be a corner forward and you're in the Right corner back position, or you're in the half back position, or in the middle of the field somewhere, and you're then trying to get back up to your position to then start making moves from it. And in fairness, Wamad, <laughs> they try to play; like they do, try to deliver the ball into their full forward line, you know, when they can. And there was times in the first half where they played some lovely, you know, they had some lovely opportunities where, you know, kind of decent foot passes in from the middle of the field and guys coming off the shoulder and things like that. And listen, it's just maybe your. The, their lack of midfield dominance to give them a platform in the game meant that they ended up chasing their tails all over the pitch for the whole match. And then the game start. The game basically went away from them with the with the with Pather Mogan's goal and the four points in a row off off their own kickouts before half time. And that was it. Game was over at that stage. That that was that killed the game. Up to that point, Armagh were doing some good things some not-so-good things, but they were still reasonably in the contest. And then I don't uh-huh. think you can, I don't think it's really overly fair to analyse much in the second half of the match, because Donegal are such a good team that they just had an ability to snuff out danger. Armagh were trying to force things um, because they were so far behind. They maybe tried to force shots, tried to force the ball in from too far out, which is completely understandable. We see this with teams... All the time, that this is what happens when the underdog goes behind. They kind of know that the, the gig is up for them. They don't continue to play um, the way that they would have spoken about before the game. They they start to enforce things. Start to, I suppose, overly maybe go for goals or. or take shots on that aren't on and then it just, you keep giving the ball back to Donegal and then it becomes a ridiculously demoralising sort of a game. And I think, look, I know I can understand your frustrations with Ryan because he's such a talented player. We see so many good things from him. But to give him his due late on in the game, it was him that was still continuing to make the hard chase back when Pather Mogan is kicking the point over the bar. So I still think he was he was still trying to to make an effort in terms of doing a job for the team and, and give a conscientious effort. But just in possession of the ball in the second half, it just wasn't happening for Marmah because they were trying to force things. And yeah, they, they will have to have a good look at themselves in terms of how they deal with the challenge of being into Division 1 next season. Because they came up against a Donegal team that when they couldn't win... like It's one thing about you know not being able to win your own kick-out, but you shouldn't be conceding cheap scores just... in in rapid succession off your own kick-out. I mean, worst-case scenario, they needed to be able to... You know, if the ball was going long, they needed to have enough bodies in around the break and certainly not leave themselves so exposed for such simple scores for Donegal, because that's what they were. It was one or two passes and they were into oceans of space in the Armagh defence. And that would be one thing that I'm sure um, Armagh would be very disappointed, is that when things kind of went against them, they didn't have an ability to just stem the tide and stay in the game. And really, that's why teams work so much on their kickouts and working short kickouts, because if if you can just get possession, get your hands on the ball, and just take two minutes off, the, off playing against the wind when you're after conceding a couple of scores, you need to get your hands on the ball. You need to not turn over possession, because... You, the team loses energy when you keep losing possession, and certainly when when it's point after point after point, you can just see the energy level drops in the team, and and you're you're gone. So our man needed to be able to have the ability to just hold on to possession, be mature on the ball, work an opportunity, get up the field, draw foul, or you know even if you're not, you know, overly aggressively chasing scores, that at least you're, you know breathing a little bit of energy back into the team and a little bit of confidence. And in the, at periods in the first half, Armagh were doing pretty OK with that. I mean, uh, Jamie Clark was dropping out the field. He was getting on the ball. OK, not a lot is is happening. You know, a lot of it can be quite lateral, but at least they're, they're keeping the ball away from Donegal. As an underdog, they're, they're getting themselves into the game. And really, when you play against Donegal, you have to keep their hands off the ball because as soon as you turn over the ball with them, I mean, Jesus Christ, they're a nightmare to try and get yeah. the
1: back off. Well, the, the problem with them, I can see, is that they can't beat their direct markers, so they can never get a, ma- a player over and get a run on Donegal. Donegal were comfortable, or else Armagh don't want to go past in case they lose um, they lose possession in the tackle. But you're right, from, from, from Armagh's kickouts in the first half, there's nothing more demoralising when you're playing against the wind is when a point is kicked, and from the very next kickout, another point is kicked. Now there's a real sense of, oh, shit, you know, and there's a big cheer from the, from, the other, from the other team. Donegal did that twice in the first half. They followed up scores with, with slamming the Armagh kick out and nailing another one. And That's what really disappointed me, Conan, at the start of the second half. And I really noticed this. Was first, first point of the second half was a Reen O'Neill free. Now, from a free kick, we know there's no excuse for not pressing the next kick out. Reen O'Neill kicked the free, turned around, turned his back to this and ran back out towards midfield. Donegal took the short free kick to the corner forward. Now, how on earth is a team not going to have a press organised that if Rean O'Neill should never have to run back out to midfield? Because Rean O'Neill should be told, when you kick that free, you're over on whoever's free there and someone else will cover for you. Like, this is unforgivable stuff.
2: It is, and it's actually, it's it's very basic. Like, you're not always going to get your press on. You're not going to get, you know, against Donegal especially. But when you're that far down, you need to get it on as much as possible. And the one time you can definitely get it on is when you have a free. Like, yeah, And that's, like, that's what the better teams do. They, they set it up before he takes the free. And then usually what would happen is the free taker, you see it with Dean Rock all the time, he occupies the space where he's kicking the ball from. And then everybody else fills in around that. He doesn't have to run back out to midfield or, or whatever else. It's it, it was um there there's a lot of stuff wrong. Like and Keane's mentioned most of it there. But one of the big things for me was just the uh, the lack of intensity that they they brought to the game as well. Like Donegal came to that match prepared for an Ulster semi final, and and they yeah. they stayed at that level until they didn't have to any longer. Armad just had a complete lack of bite, and I'm surprised. Like you know, for a team managed by by Kieran McGinney, but like you mentioned, the, the Ryan Kennedy thing and the Fokker thing at the start, there was also one where Jamie Brennan just started with solo and backwards, and then just just burst through Kennedy, and I think it was Conor O'Neill and clipped the ball over the bar. And there was just a yeah. real lack of that the whole way through. And we're talking but about
1: pace, pace though. Brennan has pace, like Jamie Clark could never score like that. Jamie Clark's a brilliant player, but you see, without pace and
2: without without be willing to take a man on. You know, like I mean, the good teams all have it. Yeah, but but there was there was just a few like sort of simple things as well. With like Ryan Kennedy, I think he was detailed to mark Paddy McBurty because he went on him when McBurty came on. But when McBurty didn't start the match and he didn't play for what was a sixty odd minutes, like Kennedy, who is a man marker, and did a great job on Shane McGuigan against Derry, he was just sort of floating around, offering nothing to the team, and there was no there was no adjustment there. Like Fokker, I thought wasn't winning anything off Murphy, and I know that's tough, but. Forker's a good player. Can he be released to to do something? Couldn't believe that Niall Grimley didn't start. Like he was, he was amazing. He was the big, the big reason why they changed the game against Derry when it looked like it was getting away from him. He came on and started winning ball, but he didn't come on until after the half hour mark. And by that stage, a lot of damage was done as well. And and just finally, like I hate this idea of like you know midfielders dropping back. And I saw like Jarlaveo Burns in it a few times, and it's it's obviously a tactic where. They're back in front of the full forward, like at the age of their own square. They call him cabinets. When, when has Donegal ever struggled with that? Like the, the actions happening around that player. He's just standing there now like a like a sausage in the in the middle of the goal, He's doing nothing while while teams are clipping over points and and getting more space. Like, like that guy needs to come out and start engaging players because Donegal see a two-on-one in there, they're not going to use that player anymore.
0: Yeah, yeah, well, that's what I i mean. What you want to actually do is encourage Donegal to kick the ball because if you just allow them to get into their patterns of hand-passing the ball and keeping possession, sometimes with a team, well, certainly for Donegal, there's a couple of basics you have to do. Number one is you do not allow them to just take a short kick out. OK, Patton is brilliant and you can sometimes get hurt with the long one. But for God's sake, everybody knows what's happening at this stage with that one. I mean, surely to God... Uh, teams can react to it but you can't just uh, you know say oh we're all going to stand back in our own half here put no pressure on the ball and allow Dudley Gall do what they want you have to engage them on their own kick out and put them under a bit of pressure Tyrone did it reasonably well and despite how good like, like Patton was back to in fairness his imperious best pretty much again but he he got a bit of confidence in the game because he was able to, to do all the things with relative ease at the start of the match. I mean, what you have to do is put pressure on people because what happens is a couple of mistakes in a game from any player, it doesn't matter who you are, and it's going to start impacting upon their confidence levels in the game. I mean, mistakes compound mistakes. That's just the way it works. So pressure is what you have to do. Like if you're playing against somebody, you have to test them in every way. You can't just decide. Oh, do you know what? They're very good. We'll just leave them, leave them off there, and put them under no pressure. Like I mean, that's a ridiculous approach to take. So yeah. you have to aggressively go after these things. So, our we're very disappointing, and you, you, uh, you, you picked up on the example I was going to talk about as well, which was just absolutely mind-bogglingly ridiculous how you're chasing a game you you start the second half great you go down you get a free get a score no pressure on the man just rolled out to the corner back and then to try his condensate drop a man back in when Donegal rarely kicked the ball in anyway I mean it's bad stuff and like even when even when the ball was going into Murphy even when it was one-on-one when the ball is in the air our mad defenders have an opportunity then to get back in there the man who's marking Murphy has to try and just break the ball, difficult conditions, get the ball onto the ground, and then other defenders are there to try and swallow him up. And they did that quite a- Like, Murphy wasn't that effective in the inside line when he was in there, really. I mean, if you look at the balls that went into him, most of them came back out again. So, I mean, why why would you sacrifice your entire team setup to, to just go after that? I mean, you have to continue to back yourself and play the game and, and think that, you're, that you can hurt Donegal as opposed to just allowing them to play the game the way they want to play it. Like I mean, that's the ultimate. That's the ultimate thing with Gall, Anyway,
1: yeah. Another thing on the 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 matchups. The, I know you, you were saying, Conan, that Armagh might have been surprised or they were surprised that Kennedy was American McBurdy. I'd say Donegal or Armagh were taken by surprise that Neil McGee took up Clark. I know he's done well on him before, and it was own Bon Gallagher on Real and Neil. Because surely with the pressure. Arma were under from kickouts, that Rhian and O'Neill could have been isolated with Bon Gallagher and a few kickouts go to him, you know, and win a hard ball, especially when their midfielders are all being, yeah. you know, be- beaten very well. One thing you say about Donegal, and McGuinness touched on this, is that they're very strong in nearly every aspect of the game. They're great on their own kickouts, they're great on opposition's kickouts, they have scorers, long distance, they have pace inside, they have pace out the field, they have patience when they're faced with a mass defence, they have a kicking game, they have a running game. There's no real obvious weaknesses to them. The only thing, all their strengths, Dublin probably are a little bit better at every one of them, but that's nothing to be too ashamed of. But this is the one thing, I see Dublin, Donegal, and these teams. And I see Armagh falling down on this. I see Kildare. I see uh, Kerry. I see them all having a decent game going forward. So say any of those teams win a ball off their own kick-out. They have forwards in position. position, They can play through their half-forward line, give a good diagonal ball, whatever. That's fine. That's not the case, as we know, and we keep making the point, other teams will drag your followers out of position and everything. So there's always points in the game where you take a short kick out, the opposition realise, right, we don't have a press on here, we'll just drop off them. This is where RMR, screwed. Kildare, Kerry, all these teams that prefer the kicking game, they don't have, they, uh, they don't have a game that can break down a team that drops off them. You know what I mean? They just can't handle that. Now, whether I'm putting it down to pace, with Armagh and putting it down to just hating that style of football, maybe with Kerry. But they're not good in broken play, in hand-passing kind of games where, you know, it's just everything's a little bit all over the place. What Donegal will do in that situation is they'll completely slow it down and almost tease the other team to go away off them and give them a minute to breathe on the ball and let's set the tack up from there. McFann will get ahead of the ball. McGonagall will get ahead of the ball. Now Donegal have planned for this scenario unfolding. You know, whereas I see Armagh panicked I see, you know, Kildare, Kerry, I'm using
2: those examples of teams that see this in front of them and go, oh shit, Donegal see this in front of them and go, we've walked through this, this is fine. Yeah, I remember watching Donegal against Down, was it a year or two ago? It was Bonner's first year and yeah, it was very interesting. Like, you would often hear it where, you know, when they slow the, the play down around the 45 metre mark and they come back out and, to, you know, people would often think that they're just trying to entice Arma out or whatever. But it's usually you're mentioning. It's usually they're just setting up an attack, and like you would see that game I'm mentioning against Down, where like four people went into the full forward line, people went out wide. They just started setting up this new formation, and and like you're right, like the amount of different options that they held Then, like we're talking about Michael Murphy inside, if Jamie Brennan's there and if Patrick McBrearty's there, like they've got so many different things in you know, different ways that they can hurt you. If you if you step off them and worry about those players, you have Langan and Thompson coming in, and often when they're pulling back, they're not just saying we're not getting involved in this type of football. They're just slowing it down. They're keeping possession and they're setting it up. They realise that team is everybody back now. We need to flick into a different mode here. We can't yeah. we can't keep attacking the way we were.
1: There's, yeah, because there's two... there's two. Obviously, there's different scenarios that you have to practice for Keane in every game. And we'll finish on this point um now and one of them absolutely no matter what your style is there are going to be times in the game the opposition is 12 13 behind the ball what do you do in that situation there's going to be times in the game where they have a full press on you what do we do in that situation there's going to be times in the game we get a kick out away we have our shape we win our kick out what are we going to do in that scenario like there's loads of different scenarios that are very
0: very obviously going to unfold in every single game at the ridge, yeah i mean um... Look, it's it's amazing the amount of times the teams have that they just, I suppose, are struggling with the basic concepts of it, really. I mean, like, while I don't agree that everybody should be trying to just copy the Dublin platform because not everybody has those kind of um, tools at their disposal in terms of the way Dublin like to play the game and having it so fluid and positionally. And same as Donegal, you know, everybody has strengths to their team, but it's about trying to maximise your strengths and, and overcoming the weaknesses that you have. but. There are certain scenarios that are just... Like, for every team, it's going to be different. So, for example, you, you kind of pointed it there that Donegal, you know, they, they get the ball, they're facing a mass defence. OK, they'll they'll get the ball to Ryan McHugh. Ryan McHugh will run around for two or three minutes with the ball in his hand while his man is aimlessly trying to get the ball off. I'm not going to happen. <laughs> it, it allows the whole team... Like, you see, sometimes maybe Michael Murphy, if he's, if he's been man-marked by somebody or if he's two men on him, he'll make a move out to try and drag one or two defenders away, and then all of a sudden you'll see Hugh McFadden will end up being the the player furthest furthest forward for Donegal. Um, I mean, it happened the other day. He went all the way in, then turned, sprinted straight out to the ball carrier, just a simple punt pass in, uh, dived down, collected it, mark over the bar. I mean, every team has players that can do those basic fundamentals of the game. And what it's about is manipulating the positioning of the ball, working the the movement of your own team to make sure that you're just creating a mismatch somewhere on the pitch, be it a a player that you have that's really, really quick. You try and isolate him maybe one-on-one with a player uh, and create the space around him. If you have a very big guy, you're maybe trying to do something similar. So every team has the opportunity to work on all of these different uh, game scenarios. And look, we can only assume that that's what teams are working on, and that the execution in the given day just isn't there, but some of it is almost um it looks so clueless at times, and not everything can be done obviously with a with a whiteboard i mean ultimately, what any coach is trying to do is give give the players the tools to make good decisions in in the game scenario and Dublin have better decision makers and they have better skill execution than most teams, but they also have the movement and mobility that is drilled into them. So they all kind of have a have a reasonable idea of what they're supposed to be doing. Donegal are very, very secure and confident in, in the game that they're trying to play. If you watch a lot of Donegal club games, I mean they are played in particularly when it gets to the latter stage of their club championship, they're played in very heavy ground, very, very dour football, very low scoring, attritional but it's predominantly about ball retention. And that's how the Donegal senior team plays. So that's a style that suits them. Like every county has to try and find the right balance for themselves. You saw Kerry trying to develop a system to beat Dublin, playing it against Cork and it not working and, and shooting themselves in the foot when they should have actually been looking at the facets of their game that would allow them, you know, to, to suit their players better. I mean, I had it my own um, playing time at Mead where, you know, Banty came in. Uh, a Monaghan man, you know, trying to bringing us a, a different mentality to it—an Ulster mentality. Coaching staff were all from Ulster. It just didn't work for the players that we had. It, it was never going to be. Lads were going to try their best, and they did try their best to implement what was being asked of them. But just the whole psychology behind, um, the the style of play and all of that, just wasn't suitable to the to the playing personnel that we had because it was alien. The way guys were playing at club level, players wanted to kick the ball, they wanted to do a certain thing. So they tried one thing, wasn't really working until their credit, then they started to adapt and, and try different things. And ultimately, it didn't really work out because performances levels weren't there. But that, that's what managers have to be able to do, is look at the tools at their disposal and work these scenarios in a game-to-game basis. And Donegal probably have it sussed for themselves as to what they want to do. They're quite mature. Mayo, to a certain extent have it but I don't think they're as good as Donegal and obviously Dublin are miles away from everybody at the minute yeah
1: it looks to be that way right we'll leave it there lads we'll come back with performance
0: of the weekend is the little dink fist pass from a crowded area into that D, we're at home by where Bernard I thought the to the Bernard about Bernard's is very patient. But this little dink ball, you know the one in a crowded area where it's a fist pass, the weight is taken out, hits the ground, and it bounces into a fella's chest, and there's consternation then in and around the D in and around that area. Watch for this in the semis and the final. Do you know what I'm talking about? That little fisted ball that's just in a in a crowded area, but it gets to the, the yeah, body. You, you have said it three times. It's in around it but you're looking at me. You're <laughs> a looking at me. a crowded area, isn't exactly You're looking right. at me with such a confused, <laughs> air, a confused head, yeah. you. It's like I it was talking about you trying to get a point in coppers or something there in a crowded area. Yeah, watch for us.
1: Performance of the weekend, uh, we want to start off with Shane McIntyre. Keen, he's your nomination here. You saw all of this game. I, I saw the first uh, 30 minutes and, jeez, it was a hard watch now. It was maybe the first 25 minutes, it was something like 3-2 or 4-3 and it was fairly laboured, um, this game. It obviously sparked into life in the second half when me just started raining goals.
0: Five, five to five points and a half. A very, very bizarre uh, scoreline. Yeah, uh, extremely strange game of football in many ways. I mean look it, it was a it was a hard watch not only because um i don't know what nokia phone a nokia 3210 or something from the from the from the late 90s or something that was being it was blurry wasn't it oh it was absolutely brutal coverage but um that, that that i suppose was almost a reflection of the game it was <laughs> something that you nearly wanted to watch um through grit, you know with, with with blurred vision because it was such poor stuff at times and um, Look, Mead grounded out. Uh, Shane McEntee uh, was probably my pick from the Mead players because of just he summed up everything about the Mead team as they are and their current guys which is they're an extremely hard working team. It's it's all about just work rate and effort and and desire to work for the team and they have uh, probably limited skill sets in terms of in terms of the attacking side of the game. I mean, Jordan Morris has come into it and has added a little bit of flair and creativity up front. But aside from him, we're quite we're quite dull, we're robotic in terms of our forward play. But that's the way the team is set up. I mean, the, the guys from all sectors of the field are, are covering a huge amount of ground, you know, working very hard in the middle sector to try and put pressure on, getting back into the defensive third and trying to get turnovers. But in fairness to me, then Andy McAdee touched on it after the game. he He was... Quite disappointed, as I suppose most Mead fans would have been with performance in the first half, which was, you know, very, very passive, no pressure on Kildare, you know, really not what you would associate um, the, the current team with. So Mead were very, very lucky. Kevin Flynn um, for Kildare had a had a really poor miss. He, was, he had a gilt-edge goal-scoring opportunity, which... Clint he bounced the ball and- again. Yeah, took, took a play when he didn't need to. Um, really should have been in the back of the net. A complete let-off for Mead, And that kind of kept Meade in the game because Kildare, you know, wh- when there wasn't a glove been laid on them, were, were doing some nice things and, and getting some scores and holding on to the ball. And in the second half, Meade forced a couple of mistakes from Kildare in their own defence and got two goals. And the goals completely changed the, the, the face of the match. I mean, at, it looked like Kildare were going to to roll on for a, probably a reasonably easy victory and mead management the players were going to be left after the game scratching their heads saying, how did we put together, how did we put such a flat performance out on the pitch? And somehow they managed to uh, get a couple of turnovers and get the ball into the Kildare net on a couple of occasions. And all of a sudden they, it was compounded again by more mistakes and some, some reasonably decent, um, Play from Mead on the counter attack where they have where they obviously have very strong runners but um, certainly a very uninspiring performance um, from both teams um, and it would it would nearly make you having watched the game I was almost depressed thinking God I, I can't I don't know if I can even face watching the game against Dublin next weekend but the one thing I would say is that that's probably the worst Mead performance that there's been in I'd say. 18 months or two, probably as bad a performance as when they were beaten by Longford in the Championship a number of years ago, it was really, really poor stuff, but they managed to somehow turn the game on its head and get the scores, and I suppose if you score 12 goals in two matches, um, you have to say it can't be all accidental, and if you look at the running power that they have from deep, the, the you know, the willingness of players to, to support the man in possession when they are breaking in open space and the fact that they've managed to score goals from numerous turnovers high up the field. You know, when Mead are doing what they're good at, they're they're a very difficult team to play against. But unfortunately, um in the first half um against Kildare they were really, really poor. And I, that would worry me going into the Dublin matches that if Mead have in any way, shape or form that type of sort of passive performance uh, against Dublin, I mean the game is going to be well out of sight after twenty minutes. Not even it won't even take till half time. It was it was so poor, and I suppose Hildare will really be looking at themselves and wonder how they somehow contrived to lose the game from the position that they were in. And when you consider yeah. that Mead were so poor for the for the first half.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think two of their goals kind of summed up Mead. Like I mean, you know what you get from the Joey Wallace. Uh, goal was great pressure from Shane Walsh and then the, the ball broke on the ground and Ryan Jones just dived in and punched it came out of nowhere just attacked the attacked the ball the O'Sullivan goal came from um, a good interception from him and Paddy Brophy Paddy Brophy probably at fault um, for two of the goals you'd say Donnellan in goals probably at fault for the Morris goal it was just right you know at the near post shouldn't be letting those ones in like it was a, it was an interesting one I don't want to be too critical of him Conan here like I mean Daniel Flynn was in the stitches laughing at the final whistle did you see that like I mean on the telly I, I, I was just Taken aback by it. I'm a big uh, fan of Daniel Flynn, and I don't want to highlight him because these things can happen. It's just very unusual after losing to Mead. Like, I mean, it famously happened with Colin McFadden. Uh, the camera went to the suspension, he was laughing on the suspension, and they're getting annihilated by our man Now, you know, Colin McFadden didn't turn out too well, so I'm not going to be overly critical. Is it just a reflection of Calder where they're at? That a player might be even thinking about kind of laughing after the, the final
2: whistle. I, I know it's probably a reflection of the game as well, when they were nine points down before the the last goal, was, was, that, was that what the case was? And I, I sympathise with him a little bit. Like I remember telling a story here, and then Keane made me think twice about it, but I said about. Just telling a joke in the changing rooms one time and then the manager pulling everybody out of the, the showers and gathering everybody around who were trying to leave early and it was just about just about the attitude and like people not hurting enough and i think Keane had rightly said that he would never be joking around after a match as well and i think when you're daniel flynn and you're the you're the face of kildare football then it's it's all the more scrutinized so um yeah probably not not as uh as finest hour but i do have a bit of sympathy with him. the game's over it was long over and yeah life goes on yeah, and yeah. well, I think it's one what of those,
0: isn't it, where when when you're kind of well beaten, when the g- like the game was over with 10 minutes left. I mean, Yeah, he so, accepted it. So yeah. every everybody on the team has kind of like, well, that's the end of that. I mean, you know, you've kind of accepted defeat uh, because it's so obvious. Um, you know, I'm sure if Kildare had lost the game by a point, they would have been thinking, Jesus, how do we not get over the line? And look, every every character in a dressing room is slightly different. I, I'd be very reluctant to be overly critical of a guy. I mean, just... Let's face it; it could have been he could have been a really good friend of his who plays with me. Maybe they're in college together. I don't know. And and let's face it; nobody sees each other um, at this time of the year. But your competitive yeah. spirit would just have it in you that, like, yeah, okay, laughing and joking after the final whistle. I mean, let's like I can remember a situation where, I mean, when we beat Dublin and we had scored uh, all the goals against them, and you know, a couple of the Dublin players were, you know sort of jovial with me after the game and I was I, I couldn't really understand that mentality, you know, and they went on to win a load of All Ireland. So I mean, who's to say who's right and who's wrong? Um but it's I, not- I was
1: I was probably I was probably you I would never do that on the field. Now I'll get over it pretty quickly. After my shower I get out to the bus. I'm nearly in I'm nearly right, you know <laughs> I'm not gonna sit in the bus with a face on me. I'm ready to maybe joke at that stage, but I'm not ready to joke standing on the field.
0: No, well, I think. Look, it's again, it's it's just the optics of it again. Look, I don't know. I, I personally, it wouldn't be for me. I'd probably have a bit of a face of thunder on me after losing a after losing a game after if we have a game amongst ourselves in training. I'm probably sour leaving, but um, not everybody is as as dull as me, and some people just uh, have a bit more to their lives. So I'm not going to be overly critical for a guy for being a little bit balanced, but certainly as a teammate. And as maybe a management of a team, when so much effort and everything goes into it, sometimes it, it's just maybe not a great look. Um, and maybe yeah, it's it's something that uh, guys can maybe do in the comfort of, uh, as you say, the change rooms or afterwards when they've when they've had a chance to get their their war colours off them. I suppose if you were from the hate yeah. mentality, you'd say, look, once you have your, your jersey off, you yeah, maybe the war is over and you can you can move on a little bit with your life. But um, again, I I wouldn't be overly critical. We see it all the time in professional sports now. I mean, soccer players are practically hugging and kissing each other after the final whistling games when they might have suffered a humiliating defeat. So, I mean, that's just what a certain generation have grown up seeing. Um Maybe I don't some. like it, Keane. That doesn't mean I
1: like <laughs> it. I don't like it. Don't, 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 don't give it. Give a soccer analogy, making that that's okay with that absolute I, nonsense. I'm going, I'm going
0: to, to, to apologise to the PC brigade and say <laughs> Daniel Flynn should never play for Clare again, just <laughs> please.
1: Okay, listen. Kieran Kilkenny and Brian Fenton are getting a joint nomination um, because Kieran Kilkenny, I didn't see much of his good performance because I only saw the first half of this in highlights, and Brian Fenton was the dominant player in the first half of this when I was watching it before the before the hurling came on. I had no stomach to watch it any any longer. The game was over. Like, I mean, one one thing that jumps out to me, Conan, you watched all of this. Like, I mean, Kieran Kilkenny's taking a, a hand pass, letting it bounce and taking it on the volley. We have Brian Fenton through one-on-one with the goalkeeper and instead of burying it in the net, he drop-kicks it. <laughs> now, if you drop-kick the ball with Mick O'Doare, you could get taken off. He just didn't like it, which is surprising considering it was in vogue back then. Yeah, you couldn't. But, like, drop-kicking is a very, very... Uh, risky tactic. It's very hard to get right, especially under run with Fenton. All I'm doing is looking as Jim Gavin sitting watching those two players? He's like, these meet, these lads have changed. <laughs> uh, these, these are not the players I nurtured for five years.
2: <laughs> Seven years. Yeah. Um, I, I, I like the dropkick because it reminded me of Ant- Anthony Togel. I remember he used to do that a few times when he was bearing down on goal. And um, it was a great save. Like, you know, we have to say, Corbett was having a, a good game shot stopping wise. And, um, yeah, like in another day, it might he might have roofed it. It was coming in from a tight enough angle. I, I don't I don't mind that. And the Kilkenny thing, I was actually just surprised because Kilkenny is so um, robotic. Boring. Yeah, he he, <laughs> he he always does the right thing, like you know. And yeah. I, I couldn't believe it. Just a lovely bit of flair to to half volley it in. But no, I'm I'm with Fenton there. He seems he seems disappointed if he's not scoring one three every game though. So uh, it's scary the level he's trying to get to. I
1: actually think Kieran Kilkenny's boring in a compliment, if that's possible. Um, he just seems to do the right thing on the ball all the time. Just quickly, I just want to sum up this. Like, I mean, Mike Quirk said afterwards, um, should we have put every everyone behind the ball and uh, lost by ten, or should we have had a go? I suppose having a go full forward line left completely isolated again, similar to a lot of the tactics you talk about. Having a go, like I mean, leaving a full forward line kind of in place in the first half they cause some problems for the first maybe 10-15 minutes and then it's like it's too much of a disconnect again I keep talking about it without being able to play up through some sort of a line if you want to play three in a full forward line why not play two on the half forward line and one inside at least you have a connection to the fella inside instead of playing three um, and there being too much of a disconnect, what ends up happening is you're trying to work the ball out through the hand. Dublin are putting a fierce amount of pressure on you, and they're getting turnover after turnover after turnover. So, like, I mean, give it a go. And they didn't try my tactics of just launching it, launching it up the field, the thing, yeah. like, like, like 1970s football. But anyway,s Les We've I have a hurling show to do, and we've we've to continue, um, continue on here. Conor Madden, obviously another um, nomination. He was outstanding. Ole McLaughlin brilliant pace from the half back line, an outstanding player like, I mean, here we go, pace, you have Durkin, you have Owen McLaughlin on the two wings, you have O'Shean Mullen coming from deep, you have Lee Keegan, who still looks like he has a bit of pace because he, he chased Shane Walsh um, at one stage. And I was very surprised that Shane Walsh wasn't getting uh too far away from him. It was interesting when Paul Kelly went off the field, Owen McLaughlin completely came into the game. For maybe the last ten or fifteen minutes, so he was—he was—I um, was said, Jerome Johnson uh, surprised me a little bit. Keen, I've, I've talked about Jerome Johnson before. Um, flatters to deceive a little bit too much for me. Even for Kuku, hit five from play in in one half,
0: and all, the ones we saw in the highlights all from his wrong side. Yeah, he kicked a few. Brilliant scores and I suppose maybe when you see him uh, doing those types of things that's maybe why we always expect maybe a little bit more from him or expect to see it on a more consistent basis but I suppose the point is it's not very easy to score five fights from playing a half of football and certainly not inter-county level so um, and lucky it was a struggle in the second half for for him but also for the entire down team but hey kick some cracking scores in the first half.
1: Yeah, he did. Like it's pure it's it's just basic mathematics. If you score five in the first half, you should be finishing the game with ten cut. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, look with a struggle with him initially, but um yeah, as I said, Jason McLaughlin did well and Kevin got on top, so uh, I think he did his bit and the rest didn't follow. Yeah,
1: Padder morgan has been the surprise package. He's in all star form as well. Like, I mean, I don't want to go down that road if you're picking all stars now, who get one, but if he continues on the way he's going, brilliant goal. Um, in the league against uh, Tyrone as well. Like, I mean, he, like, it's almost like a lot of good players in their very first season. It's like they don't have the respect. If, if, if it was Ryan McHugh, for example, coming onto that break with Michael Murphy, Keane, I can guarantee you that Kennedy and Fokker would have been more switched on than, you know, Pat or Morgan, or what's he going to do? <laughs> like, I mean, Morgan will get a full season with this attitude before next year he starts
0: getting nailed. Yeah, well, I think that's always uh, everybody always has to suffer maybe from the the second season syndrome where everybody has a <laughs> bit of an idea who you are maybe or what you what you're capable of. But look, he's he's doing really really well. I mean, he's made such a big impact for them. Um, his pace is electric, and he's just he's picking up good positions and dangerous positions, and just the timing of when he's getting into these moves is uh, is probably the most impressive thing for a young player and inexperienced at this particular level. But yeah, making huge impact for them and. Um, yeah, I don't know if he's going to be uh, given as much space in the, in the next few games. No, Shane
1: Walsh and Paul Conroy, I suppose, were the standout uh, players for Galway. Kicked some spectacular scores. Nothing we haven't seen before, Colin, if we're being honest. Like, I mean, they did take the fight single-handedly. And again, like I've said before, Paul Conroy plays really well in a game Galloway lose. There's, listen, you didn't believe
2: me the last time. <laughs> That's true, actually. I thought you were talking shit. But um, you're right. Yeah, a couple of absolute crackers that nobody's going to talk about because the other game, we lost. <laughs>
1: yeah absolutely devastated like there's nothing worse than a great performance that you lose it's just completely forgotten about and there's nothing worse than being fouled after a great run and the free taker missing it because that that point is forgotten about as well there's loads of little things here that would drive you abs- absolutely mad one other oh, no actually do you know what Mads? I have to finish the show because I have a hurling show to do <laughs> <laughs>
2: we'll,
1: we'll, <laughs> we'll pick it up on Thursday we'll be back then and we'll talk to everybody then good luck
2: it took
1: me a long time to get here. Both players have, have spoken with each other and uh and they regret what happened. They've had a frank discussion with each other and they're, they're both of them are keen to to now focus on getting back to their county jerseys.
2: But these fellas will get such a fing shit shock next Saturday evening that we will put them back in their fing houses for fing years.